0: Hey, it's Jordan Johnson, and you are listening to the Grove Podcast. We launched season two of this podcast last month, and we have loved getting to share in these first few episodes some really encouraging conversations. We've gotten to listen as Shelly Giglio has sat down with Lisa Turkhurst, as well as Sadie Robertson and Christine Kane. And from the looks of it, you guys are loving it too. So please keep sharing. We're loving all the feedback and the posts and all your kind reviews. But if you've been joining us for a while, then you know that in many of our episodes, we also have the opportunity to post some of the talks from our monthly Grove gatherings right here at Passion City Church in Atlanta. For our October Grove, we were joined by a very special and extraordinary woman, our friend, Susan Hunt. And today you're gonna hear the incredible message she brought us that night. Susan is a mother, grandmother, pastor's wife, an author, and the former director of women's ministries for the Presbyterian Church of America. She has been walking with the Lord for almost 60 years, and she still spends her time pouring into the lives of younger women. How incredible. In this talk, she breaks down the gospel story very clearly into five parts which you'll want to listen closely for. They are creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and consummation. We've also posted some really beautiful notes on our Instagram that might help serve as a listening guide or would even make a pretty wallpaper for your phone to remind us of the truth that she shares. So you'll want to be sure to check that out on Instagram at PCC underscore the Grove. Anyone who was present that night really felt like we received the greatest gift by getting to sit under her teaching. It truly felt like we were just sitting in her living room with her. One really sweet moment from the evening was when Susan was escorted onto stage by her son-in-law, Scott, who serves as a door holder here at Passion City. We wanted to include that moment here, too, so this episode opens up as Scott prays over Susan. We're so excited to share this night with you, and we trust that you'll be encouraged as you listen.
1: Father, we love you. I just thank you for how you have blessed our house and, Lord, just how you have uh, blessed the ladies and just uh, brought them in and just blessed the grove, Father, and just your hands just continue to amaze us. And, Lord, I just ask you to bless Susan, and I thank you for her faithfulness and how she just continues to live out over and over and just shows us what it looks like to live a faithful life and how she is just been a vessel for you and a tool for you and how she has just went out in all parts of the world and helped start ministries and ladies ministries and just help other churches and help other ministries but most importantly she's done it with a humble heart and always given you the glory and Lord I thank you for that and I thank you for the legacy she's leaving and Father most of all I pray that every person that leaves here leaves closer to you and I pray God that our heart breaks for what breaks your heart And I pray that our joy, that we get our joy from what gives you joy. And I pray that we just grow closer to you in your name. Amen.
2: Well, looking around the room tonight, I'm pretty confident that I'm the oldest lady in the house tonight. And in case you're wondering, in three months, I will be 80 years old. Plus, I have been crazy in love married for 57 years, and it gets sweeter every day. I love this season of life, and I love the mission that God gives to my generation. Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This generational principle runs all through the Old Testament and then it's echoed in the book of Titus when Paul writes to the young pastor... Older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women that the word of God may not be reviled. Older women are to teach what is good. We're to teach the gospel, but we're also to train younger women. We're to show what it looks like to live out the implications of the gospel in daily life. This is a nurturing ministry, so I call it spiritual mothering. And the purpose could not be more significant, that God's word will be honored but tonight I'm the old lady in the room Now it's true my body is wasting away I'm deaf in one ear my balance is really bad I have weakness and pain in my muscles but as Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 4 I do not lose heart though my body is wasting away my inner self is being renewed day by day and listen listen to Isaiah 40 The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He gives power to the weak. Those who wait on the Lord or those who trust in the Lord shall shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. This eagle imagery brings a very vivid picture to my mind. Now, stay with me just a minute on this. My husband and I love college football. Specifically, we love SEC football. I graduated from the University of South Carolina. He finished Georgia. Uh, We have a granddaughter that finished Alabama, three that finished Auburn. And one who is there now. Now, I had never been to an Auburn football game until our oldest grandson went there. And I will never forget that first experience in that stadium. The anticipation grew as the time grew closer for the game. And at one point, my grandson leaned over to me and said, get ready. And then it happened. That eagle was released and that splendid bird soared over the stadium. Have you ever been there and seen that? It is magnificent. That's what I feel like, girls. I feel like I am soaring and it's majestic and it's wonderful in spite of the weakness and the pain of aging. He gives me strength. He makes me glad. By the power of the gospel, I'm not bound to my frail frame. I can soar and I almost hear the great cloud of witnesses cheering me on. So, I want you to come fly with me tonight and let's look down on 80 years of my story. Job tells us that wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Did you know that if you've lived 80 years You've lived 29,200 days. That is a long view perspective of life and of God's love and faithfulness. Now, tonight, my daughters and some of my granddaughters and some of my spiritual daughters are here. But I have prayed for all of you so much. And the Lord has put so much love in my heart for you that I feel as if you're my spiritual daughters and granddaughters. In my mind's eye, I do not see me sitting before hundreds of women tonight. I see you gathered with me in my living room and I wanna tell you things that I wish I had known when I was your age. But I want us to go higher than my story and to see the Bible story. One of the historic creeds says this about the Bible. The scriptures manifest themselves to be the word of God by their majesty and purity, by the consent of the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. The Bible is not a collection of fragmented stories. Every part of scripture consents or agrees with every part of Scripture because there is a scope of the whole. There's a big story. There is the metanarrative of the Bible, and it's all designed to give glory to God. The more we understand the Bible story, the more we will understand our story. Now, here's the thing. This consent and scope principle also applies to our lives. As I look back over 80 years, I can testify to you that nothing was wasted. Nothing was random. God even used my sin. He used the sin of others against me. He used the sorrows, the grief, the suffering, the times of rejoicing and the times of weeping. He's using the physical suffering of old age to shape me into what he planned for me all along and i can also tell you that through it all he has never left me and he has never ever forsaken me now my prayer is that as you begin to see the scope of the whole of your story you will begin to see the beauty and the significance of each part of your story and see that every single part agreed with every single part in order to give glory to God. Now we're going to fly over the first four chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 4. You may want to turn to Genesis 1. And as we fly, I want you to look for the outline of the story, creation, fall, Redemption, restoration, and consummation. This outline that's given to us in the first four chapters is then unfolded throughout the scripture. But it is also the trajectory of the story that God is writing in your life. In the beginning, God. Well, he was there in the beginning, so he was there before the beginning. He has always been there. He is the reference point for it all. Ephesians 1 gives us a little glimpse into before the beginning. We may think of that as the prequel to the story. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always lived in perfect love, perfect unity, perfect community. But love is action. And God's love moved out with a glorious plan, a covenant of redemption. In Ephesians 1, we read about it. In verse 3, we begin to see the work of the Father in this plan, this covenant. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him to the praise of his glorious grace. Did you get that? His grand vision for us is for us to be holy and blameless. And his grand purpose is to put his glory on display. And then beginning in verse seven, we see the work of the son in this plan in christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins so that same purpose we should be to the praise of his glory and then verse 13 when you heard the gospel and believed you were sealed with the promised holy spirit to the praise of his glory a seal or a stamp shows that we belong to God we are his and we are secure now this was not just a vague idea in the mind of God revelation 17 tells us that our names were written in his book of life before the foundation of the world and the grand purpose of it all was to put his glory on display someone once asked me a very thoughtful question she said was it not egotistical of God to create us for his glory? Well, think about the alternative. What other purpose would give meaning and significance to your life? If I'm created for my own glory and I'm my own reference point and you're your own reference point, we only have to look around us to see how shallow and empty and fragile and, yes, destructive that is. Our destiny is glory. This is beautifully stated in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that tells us man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But the next question is, what is His glory? It's the essence of who He is. In Exodus 33, Moses prayed, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. His goodness is the essence of his character. And then the Lord hid him in the tref- cleft of the rock, and the Lord passed by, and he described his goodness a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. We glorify him when we reflect his mercy and grace and slowness to anger and love and faithfulness and forgiveness. So that's the prequel. Now back to Genesis 1, the first point in our story outline, creation. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, And void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it happened. Light did exactly what it was created to do. God is sovereign. His word is the power and the authority for all that is already in scripture it is pointing us to Jesus the living word who is the light of the world and it's pointing us to scripture the written word which is the light for our path this is really my story I grew up in church but until I was 22 I only had this vague notion of God I, I tried to follow the rules and it was exhausting and it was defeating the earth was really a description of me. No shape, empty, dark. I was controlled by my circumstances and my emotions. But the Spirit of God hovered over me during those 22 years, protecting me, watching, waiting until God said, let there be light in her heart. I didn't fully understand it all but suddenly I knew I was a sinner in desperate need of a savior and Jesus was the savior and I started breathing. The Bible and life slowly began to make sense to me. Now, as I said, I was 22, so I have known Jesus for 58 years, but he has known me. He has known my name for all eternity. This is intensely personal but it's not just my story. It did not happen in isolation, disconnected from all of his other chosen ones. Let me give you just a little glimpse of that in my story, but the same thing is true in yours whether you know details or not. Since I was a little girl, I have been told about my great-grandmother Cassie. She was a godly woman who loved Jesus And I'm told that she prayed for her children and for the generations to come. When I became a Christian, that story became so precious to me because I realized a woman I never knew who lived in the 1800s, I am an answer to her prayers. And I began praying for the generations to come. Fast forward. I have a 23-year-old granddaughter, Cassie, who is sitting right down here somewhere. And six months ago, in this very room, God said, let there be light in Cassie's heart. And Cassie's light bulb is now on the Jesus' life wall in the oval, but the light in her heart is shining a little bit brighter every single day. Girls, when we begin to see the scope of the whole, we begin to see our story is beyond epic. It is eternal. None of us knows all of the details, the prayers, the stories that are woven into our stories and we will not know until we get to heaven all of those details. But we do know this. We have been known and loved by the triune God since before the creation of the world. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. God said, let us make man in our image. This us, our language shows us that God is a personal, relational God And he created us to be personal, relational beings and to image him. He created male and female, reflecting the unity and the diversity of the Trinity. The members of the Trinity are equal in power and glory. But as we saw in Ephesians 1, each assumes a different function in the accomplishment of our salvation. Men and women are equal, but we're distinctive now Genesis 2 gives a little more detail about the creation of man and woman the Lord formed the man first he put him in the garden at Eden to tend and keep it he he was told that he could eat of every tree except one eat it disobey and you will die obey and you will live this is known as a covenant of works and it depended on man's obedience Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. There was nothing wrong with the man. But because he was created in the image of the triune one, His aloneness was not good. This is not just about marriage. It's also about living in community with God's people. Already here in the beginning chapters of Genesis, we're being pointed to the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, Romans 12. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Our union with Christ connects us to one another. We're equal, but we're different. And we need each other's gifts and graces, and they need ours. This magnificent oneness is historical. We're connected to believers all through history. It's also global. We're connected to God's children all around the world. But we're to live out the reality of this glorious oneness in our local church where we share our gifts and graces with one another. The world tells you that independence is power. That is a lie. We're created to live interdependently. We are not alone. We belong to God and we belong to one another. And then we come to the second point in our story outline, Genesis 3. Satan enters the story. He tempts the woman to eat the fruit. She listens. She engages with him. She eats the fruit, gives it to her husband. He ate and sin and death come into the world. They not only disobeyed the command they betrayed the relationship they did not trust God they did not believe that he loved them and planned the very best for them they were covenant breakers and they exchanged glory for silly fig leaves a ridiculous attempt to cover their guilt and shame but God did not end the story he is a covenant keeper. He did not leave them in their guilt and shame. They listened as he spoke to the serpent. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this brings us to the third point in our story outline, redemption. They expected death but they heard words of life. The life who would crush the head of the serpent would come from woman. God's, I will do this, shows that this does not depend on our obedience. This is a covenant of grace. We cannot earn it and we do not deserve it. We're not seeking him, he seeks us, he finds us, And His covenant promise that runs all the way through Scripture, all the way through history, and into our hearts is, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will live among you. And I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And the promise was kept when Jesus came and He lived among us and He ascended to heaven and He sent His Spirit to live in us. Now, what was Adam's response to this very first proclamation of the gospel promise, uh, Genesis 3.20? And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve sounds like the Hebrew word life giver. Can you imagine how she felt? The one who became a life taker because of her sin? is now declared to be a life giver because of the grace of the gospel. How could such a reversal take place? The same way it takes place for us. Verse 21, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. They watched as the Lord God killed the animal and took the skin and covered them. This is a picture of the beautiful doctrine of justification. Jesus perfectly obeyed the covenant of works for us. And then he offered up his perfect life as the sacrifice for our sin. At the cross, God covered Jesus with my sin and he covers me with the perfect righteousness of Jesus This is the great exchange, the great reversal of our status before a holy God from guilty and condemned to forgiven and redeemed. Justification means just as if I had never sinned and just as righteous as Jesus Christ. Imagine that is our status before God. Now, Adam and Eve were redeemed, but they had to leave the garden and live as exiles in a fallen world, and so do we. But the mission is the same, to put God's glory on display to the uttermost parts of the world. It will be hard because of the weeds and thorns in the ground, and because the weeds and thorns in our hearts have to be pulled out and destroyed. And that brings us to the fourth point. In the story outline restoration or transformation 2nd Corinthians 3 we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another from the, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit beholding the glory of the Lord we are being transformed. We become what we behold. Behold the false promises of the world and will be conformed to its values and priorities. But when we behold Jesus in his word, the Holy Spirit slowly, degree by degree, begins restoring us to our true humanity, to what we were created to be justification is God's one-time declaration of our status or our position before him transformation is the lifelong process of becoming in practice what we are in position in Christ this process is so radical that it changes our affections our ambitions our attitudes and our actions. An older woman taught me her simplified version of transformation many years ago. She had been saved later in life, and over and over she said to me, I can just see her big smile and her joyful face, and she would say, I did what I wanted to before I was a Christian. I do what I want to do now, but God has changed my want-tos. Pray that God will change your want-tos. Romans 12 tells us do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation begins in the mind. As our mind is renewed by God's Word and His Spirit we begin to think biblically and the Spirit begins to change our want-tos. In Genesis 4 Eve shows us what it looks like to be transformed from a life taker to a life giver. Verse one, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. There's something terribly wrong, but terribly familiar with that statement. Contrast it with her statement in verse 25, which was many, many years later. And this is what we read. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom God, whom Cain killed. Do you see the difference here? Her first word in her first statement is I. The first word in her second statement is God. This is the dramatic shift from an I-centered to a God-centered god centered perspective of life. It is the sacred movement of being transformed from a life taker to a life giver. In verse one, she is her own reference point. It's all about her. She's not thinking biblically. I wonder how she prayed. She remembered the promise of deliverer because she thought she had gotten him when that baby was born. She's not thinking or praying For God's glory to be extended to the ends of the earth. I think she was praying something like this. Lord, I can't take these weeds any longer. Send the deliverer now. The way I know that is because so often it's the way I pray. Lord, this is what I need to happen so my life will be easier. Now will you help me make it happen? That's not praying or thinking biblically. Eve was not soaring. She was deep in the weeds, and life was hard. Her own son murdered his brother, but gradually she began to think biblically. She began to look up from the weeds to God's sovereignty, to his love and his mercy and his plan and his purpose. In verse 25, God is her reference point, indicating that his word is her authority and his glory is her purpose. So, where are you in the story? You're here, so you've been created. Are you still living under the curse of sin? Is there? Are you still in your sin? Cry out to Jesus. Ask Him to shine the light of the glory of the gospel into your life. Are you redeemed? Have you trusted the obedience of Jesus to pay your sin debt? Then lift your heart in praise and thanksgiving that you have been known and loved since before the creation of the world, that you stand before Him just as if you had never sinned. And then where are you in the process of transformation? Are you stuck in the weeds or are you soaring? Let me just share with you five takeaways that I hope will help you to soar. It's really not complicated. It's the old, old story. The first takeaway is study God's Word and ask Him to renew your mind so that you think biblically. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself to His children. The more you read it, the more you will know him. The more you know him, the more you will understand yourself. The more you know his story, the more you will understand your story. Study on your own, but also be faithful in Sunday worship. Gather with God's people to hear his word proclaimed. And also get involved in a small group where you can share your gifts and graces with others and they can share theirs with you. But another way to think biblically is to listen to your conversations with yourself and with others to see if you're really being conformed and squeezed into the shape of the world or if you're thinking biblically. Let me just give you a few examples. I have to listen to my own heart and follow my own truth. No, the Bible says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Or I try to read the Bible, but I don't get anything out of it, and I can't find a church that I like. It does me just as much good to stay at home. No, the Bible says that God gives us his spirit to teach us his word, so we must approach it prayerfully. And church is not there for us to critique It's there for us to worship. Honor the Sabbath day. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Go there, not just for what you get out of it, but also for what you put into it, for your opportunity to serve others. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Or then another conversation. We love each other, but we're not ready to be married. I know the other Christians who are living together, and it seems to work fine. I know God wants me to be happy. The Bible says God wants us to be holy and blameless. And the only way to lasting true happiness is obedience to His Word. And His Word says in 1 Corinthians 6... Please, sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Or another conversation. I can never forgive him or her for what they did to me. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then takeaway number two, start praying biblically. I can remember complaining to a friend when our kids were teenagers. I don't remember the exact thing I was complaining about. I think it was. I am so tired of nagging these kids about their homework. Will you please pray that they will take their studies seriously? And my very wise and kind friend looked at me and she said, no, I won't. (laughs) But I will pray from Colossians 1 that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Well, this revolutionized and simplified my praying because I realized if they're growing in the knowledge of God and they're walking worthily of Him, homework and a whole lot of other things will take care of themselves. But do you hear what my gentle friend was doing with me? She was also without words saying to me, Susan, this is not about your convenience. I want, I'm tired of nagging them. I want them to do their homework. And she was telling me that I needed to grow in the knowledge of God and to walk worthily of Him despite the behavior of those around me. And then takeaway number three, pray that the Lord will captivate your imagination with your capacity to be a life giver. This is reality. In every relationship or situation, we will either be a life taker, sucking the life out of that person in relationship, or we'll be a life giver. As redeemed women, we have the potential to be life givers because the very life of Christ is in us. When I first saw this life taker, life giver concept, the language itself is so graphic and I immediately knew that at my core I was a life taker and I began praying and the Holy Spirit used profound, the profoundly simple words of John 3.30 and planted them deep in my heart. I had memorized, I had prayed those words and seen them and read them so many times, but they went deep in my heart. He must increase and I must decrease. And I realized I'm a life taker because I'm full of myself rather than full of Jesus. And I began praying me, Lord, show me my sin. Show me specific ways that I'm being a life giver. And he began to show me the bitterness and the resentments and the irritation with other people, my self-centeredness. And I just kept praying, Lord pull out the rotten dead stuff and fill me up with Jesus. And I still pray this every day, Lord, I want to decrease and I want Jesus to increase. Now, as this happens, a wonderful thing happens. We begin to hold every person and conversation and task tenderly because we begin to see even the small moments as sacred moments when we have the privilege to show the grace and the mercy and the steadfast love and kindness and the forgiveness of God into that particular situation. And then takeaway number four, pray for a scope of the whole perspective. I was in my early 50s, and for some reason I had sunk down deep into the, the weeds And I was feeling overwhelmed with life, with my job and with family and church responsibilities. And I visited with Evelyn, a godly woman in her 80s. I whined and I complained and finally I said, Evelyn, what should I do? And she was quiet for a minute and then she looked at me and very gently she said, as you talked, I kept thinking of one thing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so her life-giving words began to lift me up out of the weeds and I began to look up again this woman who had lived a really difficult life was saying to me I can still tell you Jesus loves me and I know this because the Bible that is my authority for my faith and my life tells me so. So, girls, find someone a little older than you and listen to her. And then, when you begin to soar, take away number five. Look around and take the hand of someone a little bit younger than you and help her to fly. It might be a younger sister or a younger girl or woman at your church or school or at your work. Pray for her. Maybe send her a text to encourage her, love on her. And encourage her. Tell her that Jesus loves her. And you know this because the Bible tells you so. And then finally, listen to this sweet message of love from our Heavenly Father. Listen to me. You whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I'm he who will sustain you, I have made you, and I will carry you. This is how I feel as an older woman. I feel like a tired, very dependent, and content little girl who is being carried in the arms of her father. And she's calling to her friends, look how good and strong my daddy is. And she knows that when she falls asleep in his arms, she'll wake up at home. And that is the fifth point in our story outline, the consummation. When we go to heaven, our Jesus comes back. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now, girls, if we were sitting in in my living room, I would say to you right now, I am fading fast. It's time for you to go home and me to go to bed. wherever those girls are who do come every month and sit in my living room they know that there they are they know that that's what I tell them a lot earlier than this hour rolls around but before you leave I want to pray for you and I wish that I could take every one of your hands and and pray for you by name but there's a sense in which I can because God knows your name I want to pray from Ephesians 3, this is a prayer that for decades I prayed for my own children and grandchildren and spiritual children. And I want to pray it now for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know the name of every woman here. And I pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen her with power through your spirit in her inner being so that Christ may dwell in her heart through faith, that she will decrease and he will increase. Lord, I pray that she will be so rooted and established in your love that she might be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the length of your love and to be filled up with you so that, Lord, you do immeasurably more in her than anything I could think to ask you to do. According to your power at work in her, and to you be glory in your church and in Christ Jesus and through my dear spiritual daughter for generation after generation after generation until Jesus
0: comes back
2: in His name, amen.
0: Wow, what a privilege to hear from such a faithful woman who's been serving the Lord for decades and she still finds so much joy in bringing Him glory. Thank you, Susan. If you want to hear more from her, you'll want to check out her books for women and even some for kids by searching Susan Hunt on Amazon.com. And if you want to hear more talks from our Grove gatherings, be sure to go back to season one of this podcast to hear from Ann Voskamp, Priscilla Shire, Levi and Jenny Lesko, and Christine Kane. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Grove
1: Podcast.